Welcome to the Compliance Perspectives Podcast. I'm Adam Turtletow from the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics and Healthcare Compliance Association. Joining us today from Minnesota is Patty Hauser. Patty is Compliance Counsel for Land Lakes. And today we're going to be talking about supplier codes of conduct. I noticed an article she wrote in Compliance and Ethics Professional Magazine about the topic and thought it would be good to share this way. First, Patty, thanks for taking time away from your day to talk to us. Thank you for having me. Oh, our pleasure, our pleasure. Now, in your article, it was very interesting to me. You make the argument for a purpose-driven approach to a supplier code of conduct. What do you think the objectives of the code of conduct should reasonably be? Well, I think a supplier code of conduct is, after all, a code of conduct. So its purpose should follow what a code of conduct should do. It should set high-level expectations, give guidance, and promote ethical practices. Uh, Also, you know, this is a chance for a company to once again confirm its commitment to integrity and, and sound business practices. And this just isn't a statement to your suppliers, but also to the public. You know, we all know supplier risk is real, that we'll be judged by the company we keep and we'll be judged in the court of public opinion, right? So this is a chance to tell the world, your customers, investors, um, that this is how you do business and you expect your business partners to follow suit. Well, and that's certainly important these days, given how much scrutiny there is throughout the supply chain uh, and with things like ESG looking at the whole environment and ecosystem that organizations create. Now, given the breadth and depth of third-party risk these days, many organizations are digging deep into their suppliers. Um, When it comes to your supplier code of conduct, how do you know what is enough and what is too much? Well, again, I think you, you simply go back to its purpose, set expectations, give guidance, and promote ethical practices. If you remember its purpose and its function, you will stay on track. But I think what it's also important to remember is what a supplier code is not. You know, remember, code of conducts are high-level documents. They're not in-depth, granular policies or procedures. So keep it short. You know, aim for two to four pages in length. And remember, it's not the only tool in your toolbox. If you need a contract term, use a contract or an addendum. Uh, If you need to do a deeper dive, if you really need to know what's going on with that supplier, do a survey, or you can also do an audit. Um, But remember, you don't just have to rely on your supplier code. And then after you've drafted it, take a step back. Think about your supply chain. Is this universally applicable to your suppliers? And you could also ask your suppliers. I mean, compliance is a journey. So I think if you take those steps, you will keep the supplier code of conduct where it's supposed to be. And it sounds like you'll also keep it in a place where it's usable both for your organization as well as the suppliers. I mean, you know, you make the point about if something belongs in the contract, put in the contract. You don't want to create a code of conduct that's so burdensome that it's going to dissuade people from wanting to work with you. Right. One of the problems with supplier codes of conduct is that many suppliers are already large, well-established companies with strong codes of conduct on their own. What's the best case in those situations? I remember one very large supplier saying they couldn't possibly comply with all the various conflicting codes that they received from their you know, thousands of customers. So right, compliance with the impossible is no compliance at all. And so when businesses set out to create a supplier code of conduct, they have a bit of a conundrum. Their supply chain is large, it's likely made up of both 
large, sophisticated companies that may ha that have their own code of conducts in place. And they also probably have smaller companies that may not have a compliance framework. And so when they think about their supplier code of conduct, they might be thinking about just the jurisdictions that present the most risk. So they have a bit of a conundrum of how to address both. It's a problem, but it can be solved. So you solve this problem by requiring a commitment to similar principles and standards, not a verbatim adoption of your code. So how this would work is you say, here's our standards, here's our expectations. You either have your own code of conduct and policies in place that are substantially similar, or you adopt our code and train on it. That way, you're covering both those companies that have codes and those that don't. And this works because most codes of conduct overlap. Again, these should be high-level documents setting high-level expectations. So whether you draft that code or your supplier has drafted that code, they're likely going to cover the same requirements. Yeah, and it is true that these days most codes of conduct cover very similar grounds. So right. what should reasonably be in the supplier code of conduct so that you're not overly restrictive and that you're also recognizing what your supplier may already have in place? Well, you know, front and center should be your unwavering commitment to integrity and to doing the business and to doing business the right way. Then again, going to sound like a broken record, is go back to the purpose of the supplier code of conduct. You know, first set expectations and give guidance. So what compliance obligations are important to you and your company? And, you know, look at, look at your own code of conduct. That sets out what your own company has decided is important. Um, look at the supplier codes of, of other companies in your industry. Um, look also to risks that could be inherited in your supply chain. Where are your suppliers located? What kind of risks are inherent in your industry? Then also think about the sophistication, too, of your suppliers. And after you have all of those considerations together, um, you can put together your high-level expectations. You know, and you can also look to internationally recognized standards um, and also those standards that would be um, applicable to your industry. You know, and next, a supplier code of conduct should promote ethical practice. So within your supplier code, recognize that compliance is a journey. Make a commitment to work with your partners, but make it clear that you expect suppliers to immediately address any shortcomings and also encourage your suppliers to continuously improve their own operations. And finally, you wanna also include your hotline number, you know, the right to amend the code, the right to terminate the business relationship if they're not measuring up, and certainly the right to audit the supplier for compliance. So finally, what's tempting to put in the code, uh, but really does not belong there? You know, I think it's tempting to just stuff everything you can in there, right? Like every commitment you want, everything you want suppliers to do and to comply with and say, here, here's my code, adopt it, train on it, problem solved, boom, I'm done. I understand how that would be tempting, but again, that's not gonna work for all of your suppliers. That's not the purpose of a supplier code of conduct. And you don't wanna get into asking for compliance with the impossible, right? So stick to the purpose, decide what's important to you, set those expectations, 
and require either that they have their own co codes and policies in place or that they adopt yours. But by taking that approach, you will um, keep the supplier code of conduct in its lane. It's going to be the right tool for the job and you're going to be promoting compliance. So I know I said finally, but as you were answering that question, um, you made me think of something, which is as you go through this process, um, you obviously need to have the buy-in from the business unit uh, so that they're a part of this, you know, and there may be a temptation for some to say in the business, say, no, 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 this is just getting in the way of me getting the supplier I need. Uh, how do you ensure buy-in from your peers in, biz, in, in the business unit itself? Well, I think that backs up to when you put your own corporate code of conduct in place, when you talk about we do the right thing and that we're committed to integrity, we're committed to practicing business the right way, and that naturally then flows down to our suppliers. And then also, too, you can talk about the risk inherent, like what happens if we have a supplier that's not doing business the right way? You know, what's the cost of that? Again, back to being judged in the court of public opinion reputational damage can be significant. And also too, um, what I often do is when I start to talk to the business, I get their buy-in right away. I listen to them, um, listen to their concerns. But the first thing I do is I remind them that we both want the same thing here. We both want well-qualified partners that do business the right way and are gonna be good long-term partners for us. And once we understand that we both want the same thing, I mean, there's there's really not an issue after that. And getting that buy-in early certainly makes things smoother in all aspects of compliance. It well, does. Um, Patty, thank you so much for sharing these insights with us, both in the magazine and here. I want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen. I'm Adam Turtletaub from SCCE and HCCA. I hope we're able to expand your compliance perspective. <laughs>